you know, you have these plants addressing the sort of history of, of, of space and what, what sort of tragedies may be writ large in that. And then you have this text addressing the sort of trickiness of light, that things can be bright and lit and then you don't actually see them. Light can manage to hide things. This is a podcast about visual art at Auburn University. My name is Chris Molinsky, Director of Education at the Jewel Colin Smith Museum of Fine Art. Today, I talked with the artist Kevin Briscoe Jr. about his exhibition, Migratory Roots. My name is Kevin Briscoe Jr. Uh, I am uh, currently showing at the Jewel Museum in the Radical Naturalism series. Radical Naturalism is an exhibition series at the Jewel where we invite contemporary artists to organize an exhibition of their own work in conversation with work in our collection by the 19th century artist John James Audubon. In his time, Audubon thought of himself as a naturalist, someone who is scientifically documenting the birds and plants of North America. Through this series, we wanted to ask, how are contemporary artists engaged with nature and the natural world? Kevin Briscoe is a painter. Although he works as an artist in many different ways, the paintings in this exhibition are realistic, representational images of people and landscapes. This is Kevin's first museum exhibition. And the series of paintings represented here started when he first entered Yale as a graduate student. I think I was entering into Yale's painting department with a, a level of like, okay, let me try sincerity. Let me try painting with, with, with sincerity. In this case, sincerity meant painting in a traditional, realistic style, depicting people, plants, things in the world. But for Kevin, this practice of representation has always been troubled. You know, as I was still like struggling with the, the knowledge that I, I knew I was making work that I felt was, was certainly about the black body without using the black body, and you know, in these you know, grad school courses where they'll, they'll have you say any form of representation is uh, inherently evil, which I think is just as glib as thinking that any form of representation is inherently empowering. Uh, I finally just came to like, no, like we can we can have a more complex relationship to representation that that sort of owns up to the sort of the reality and the desire to be seen and the reality that you can never be fully seen. This is a strategy that Kevin names denied portraiture. You know, portraits where you have the figure present, but uh, ultimately the, uh, the the figure is obscured. The viewer can't fully see them. The first iteration of that was um, the idea of backlighting uh, in the, the figures that are in Migratory Roots. How do I put the figure into this landscape but own up to the fact that the figure is not uh, is both present and not at home in this landscape. The, the figure is being rejected by this landscape. The exhibition is about migration, about identity and place, and how both people and plants are migrating through places like New Orleans. Part of Kevin's struggle as an artist was, how do you depict that? Is it a portrait or a landscape? So I landed on uh, these landscape portraits of semi-indigenous plants, basically uh, square-shaped canvases that denied being either a portrait or a landscape. They sat in the in-between space. And then images, uh, you know, paintings, replications of plants that were intrinsic to the culture of southern Louisiana, but were there as a result of colonization and migration. All of this to be sort of an allegory for the state of African-Americans in the South. 
I you know made a painting of uh, sugarcane, which obviously you know the, the experience on those sort of like uh, plantations. Some people don't know the history, I and mean, the history is particularly incipient, and you know it gets deeper and deeper as you sort of read more about it. This landscape portrait of sugarcane, you know, just on one end, you know, you have this sort of blue sky, you have this pristine day. Uh, you know, this is a product that creates sugar, it's sweet, but obviously is the catalyst for uh, horrible, you know, America's, uh, the America's, one of the, the world over's most uh, horrific sort of uh, histories. I also wanted to, I made a painting of uh, this uh, tree called the misbelief tree in New Orleans, there are these uh, these trees that the black uh, and Creole population would call misbelief trees. They're actually a, a Japanese loquat tree. So they, they they bear this fruit that it's like it's like yellow and it's 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 a. I remember thinking of it as if a pear was a citrus is how I would always describe it. It's just a really delicious fruit. I always like found it poetic that the these you know you know these these fruiting trees that would just pop up around town had this moniker, the misbelief uh, tree, which is, it feels like a tacit acknowledgement of something being too good to be true, which is sort of the crux of these sort of like blue sky paintings, this, this situation. The most prominent through line in the exhibition is the image of a flat blue sky. The color is continuous, no clouds, no shading, just blank, flat, blue. I'd also been on the search for the perfect blue with which to describe this sky. And I'd gone through, you know, pearlescent colors. I started off with cerulean thinking that's going to get me to where I need to be in the in the blue, but it still felt a little too dull. Professor introduced me to this acrylic paint company uh, out of LA called Nova Color. And I, you know, bought all their blues and was like, oh, okay, trying to figure this out. And then they had this fluorescent blue that was like the perfect color, uh, just like just the way it radi- managed to radiate off the canvas and like feel like this both the saccharine and like electric blue that like it kind of hits you right away. But Kevin quickly found out neon pigments are not light fast. The colors fade when exposed to sunlight. I was like, oh, oh, okay, that's a that's a real bummer. Um, and so I came, went back to the studio and started trying to go back, like you know, these these studies that I was making of these paintings was trying to like go back and. And find a different blue, but none of them none of them looked as brilliant. None of them worked as well as this fluorescent that I'd gotten from this company in L.A. Uh, and then, but then over the time, like sleeping on it, working through it, like and um, and making paintings that I thought the sky was a bit duller. I was like, wait a second, no, hold up. Like the fact that these pa- this, these paints die supposedly or fade sort of fast. That's the tool. That is the that is it. That's the piece. This tool, the neon blue paint, and how it fades or how it dies, is represented in a series of blank square paintings. Each painting appears completely blue, but you have to be in the gallery negotiating with your body to see that there is text on each. You have to read the text to see that it relates to perception, to light, to the sky, but also to struggles of seeing. Can you you read the text for me? I'm not, I'm not sure anymore just how it happened before. The places that I knew were sunny and blue. Is it easy to read the text? No. Why? Why not? Because if you turn any other direction or just try to have an angle, then it just disappears. Wait a minute. What, what about this one? The blind stares of a million pairs of eyes looking hard, but won't realize that they will never see you. I'm in the gallery, and I'm making my 10-year-old 
read these paintings with me. The canvas is intentionally created to change over time. The blue color of the sky will shift and fade, but the text, which has a UV protective acrylic, will stay blue. So over time, the paintings will look completely different. Like the other work in the exhibition, these paintings are a mechanical critique of the process of painting and the methods of representation. But this is also a project about perspective, about forcing you to shift and change and think about how the object in front of you shifts and changes over time. So, you know, these these pieces are very much about this blue sky and, uh, you know, light as this idea, like uh, the, the brightness of a day, like somehow uh, bears some, like, uh, happiness. But also arriving at the fact that, you know, the bright lights, uh, the, these things cast shadows they can obscure like and that and that through the idea of backlighting backlighting you know a lot of these things like sort of these these narratives make sense completely in in retrospect right but it's like it's a it's a process that you sort of arrive at these things you know i was you know wanting to make this this silhouetted figure who that spoke to um both uh the panopticon uh uh, Foucault was talking about the perfect prison structure in which there's a prison, but you can see the prisoners, but only uh, because they're like in a square and backlit, and you see this, their shadows of how they move every day. Um, and at the same time, uh, Glissant's uh, opacity—the idea that you know things can be sort of obscured and still maintain in that in that power—it's like still trying to wrestle with the the dual, like those those seemingly opposing theories on um, how things are seen. The, you know, I arrive at the backlit figure, but uh, like only over time do I realize the actual the power in that figure, and as and in the replication of it, do I realize like okay, I, like this is the figure that needs to be sort of the way we need to be presented. You know, you have these plants addressing the sort of history of 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 space and what what sort of tragedies may be writ large in that, and then you have this text addressing the sort of trickiness of light that things can be bright and lit and then you don't actually see them light can manage to hide things and then you have the paint that's actually describing the precarity of this of the future that all of these things are sort of wrapping around the idea that that joy can be questioned in, a, in a various ways but it doesn't mean that the experience isn't necessarily happening in that moment alongside kevin's work are prints by john james audubon that kevin selected from the museum's collection the Audubon work is displayed as doubles, multiple prints of the same image produced by different printers. The doubling forces a shift in perspective. It forces you to look at the differences between what might seem at first like two identical prints. Like the other work, it's a kind of conceptual play on representation and technique and histories of art making. But there's also something social and political about showing the same image twice and forcing you to look at it differently. I think that there's something like uh, quietly disconcerting about uh, uh, about doubles. I mean, about like, uh, <laughs> sorry to all the twins out there, but <laughs> but about twins, like about seeing these things that are so so similar, uh, it's disquieting because I, mean, I think, you know, the truth of nature is like things, difference is uh, things sort of like come out different, weird, you, nothing is perfectly replicated except for in, nothing is perfectly replicated. It's, it's actually anti-evolutionary to have something perfectly replicated, right? I think it adds a sense of, like, ominousness. And you know that, like, we're dealing with things that are on the surface, like, fairly um, approachable. Things that on the surface are, are not threatening at all. But then you, you, you present it with a double and you're like, well, what, what's going on here? You know, you see the double of the American Crow piece and you're like, this is, I don't know why this is haunting, but it is. 
and I also wanted to speak uh, to you know in my own work there are there aren't quite doubles but there are there are people who are presented multiple times and it's the idea of uh, the person at home and and not at home and being rejected by society is also that uh, amidst change is that uh, identities change when we think about things such as identity we think uh, this, Stuart, this quote from Stuart Hall we think about identity too thoroughly in terms of roots and when instead we should be sort of addressing them in terms of routes uh, so presenting the same body in a painting twice, different angles, and also under different titles is is meant to sort of speak to identity. Even something that we think of as concrete as identity is not fixable. My thanks to Kevin Briscoe for talking with me about his work. Visit the museum to see Kevin Briscoe Migratory Roots on view through August 7th. All museum programs, including this podcast, are made possible by listeners like you visit the museum at jcsm.auburn.edu to show your support.